Welcome to another episode of Jews on Film. My name is Daniel Zana. I'm a documentary filmmaker, video editor, and a Jew. With me, as always, is my co-host, Harry Ottensasser. Hey, Harry, how's it going? It's going pretty well. As always, I'm Harry Ottensasser. I am currently a Jew. I am a former film major, but a current film podcaster here in our second season of the pod. Yeah. And uh, how's, it going? how's it going, Daniel? How's everything with you? It's going pretty well. Uh, you know, we haven't recorded in a little bit, but I think... You know, for those who were not at the Merkaz Shavuot Tone, which is like a retreat that we did uh, for the sh holiday of Shavuot, we did actually a live Jews on film where we discussed the Ten Commandments and how it was represented in the film versus the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, talked about the making of the film. And that was really fun. I don't know. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it really did. It was a nice, first of all, nice to get in front of a live audience, you know, totally. a little secret that people don't know about this and unless they watch our social clips, I guess, but we, we don't ever even record this together in person. We're normally right. over Zoom. We we record ourselves, kind of stitch it together. It's it's at the same time. We're doing it synchronously. Sure. It's not, like, it's not like I'm like listening to your recording, waiting for the pauses and then just sort of <laughs> jumping in with my spot. Being able to sit down with you together and in front of an audience was a right. really, really fun experience. I hope we can do more of those in yeah. the future of Jews on Film. Absolutely. We should tell people that this is a scripted podcast. Everything we're saying right now has been carefully crafted by our team of writers. All these every, every um, every you know, all of that is intentional. If we ever don't sound professional, it's because we want it to sound that way. A hundred percent. I mean, we know what we're doing. We're professionals here, and uh, you know, being that we are professionals, we're here today to talk about a film called This Is Where I Leave You, directed by Sean Levy and written by Jonathan Tropper, based on his book of the same name. I think, you know, this is a movie that we sort of decided on discussing just, I don't know, for me, it seemed like a great cast. I had seen the film a few years ago, but it's a really star-studded cast. We have Jason Bateman, Tina Fey, Jane Fonda, Adam Driver, Rose Byrne, Corey Stoll, Catherine Hahn, Connie Britton, Tom, Timothy Oliphant, Dax Shepard, and the list goes on, and Ben Schwartz as the great Rabbi Charles Grodner, a.k.a. Boner. You know, it's a, it's a really fun cast. I was really excited to rewatch this through the Jewish lens. Harry, why, why did you suggest this film or what appeals uh, to you about this film? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I actually had never seen it before. We watched okay. it in the context of this film, but I definitely was familiar with it because, you know, not to sort of name drop, get personal, whatever it is, but... We actually, I remember when this came out, it was a big deal and it was 2014. So maybe I was too young for it. You know, I was, you know, I probably wasn't, but thematically, you know, this was definitely sure. uh, adult. But I remember when it came out, my dad was talking about it a lot because, you know, you mentioned Jonathan Tropper, the screen, the, you know, the screenwriter and he wrote the book and he was actually someone that was part of my dad's Jewish community growing up. Like nice. my dad, you know, kind of knew him growing up sort of grade school and like, you know, was connected with him. And I remember at the time he was saying, you know, oh, this was written by one of my old buddies. And it was kind nice. of a big deal like for that. And I guess I wasn't invited when everyone went to the screening to check it out because I don't remember seeing it, but I knew it A is that movie that was written about something Jewish because I knew it was about the Shiva and it was like right. by someone that I had known at least through my dad, but had grown up in, you know, sort of modern Orthodox Jewish community. And I knew this as the Shiva movie. Like, I don't know if you watched the most recent season of, or the first season of Moon Knight, that Marvel show. Sure, that came out. sure. So that movie, you know, that show, sorry, spoilers, you know, for a, a pretty, you know, whatever, a minor plot point kind of later yeah, in the yeah. season. But 
but there's a big climactic scene where, you know, the main character kind of goes to his mother Shiva and there's this whole, you know, dramatic event, you know, outside the Shiva. And I remember I was reading like this Reddit board about it afterwards because it was cool. That was another time where it was like mainstream, you know, Judaism Mark Spector. Or Judaism. He's, he's canonically yeah. Jewish in the, in in the, the comics. In the Marvel Universe, there was yeah. like a Shiva. And I remember being excited by that. So I was reading about it and I found some Reddit board where it was very funny. Someone was trying to explain like, someone was like, what actually is like, what, what was that Shiva thing that he was doing? And they were like, oh, it's this, it's this observance that, you know, Jews do when someone dies for seven days. And someone actually said, if you've ever seen the movie, this is where I leave you. They do a great job explaining what Shiva is. So that kind of pulled it back into my, you know, into my mind. And I was like, oh, that's, that's cool that this is, it's not just a Shiva movie to me, but, you know, someone was using it to educate someone else about, you know, Judaism in the context of Moon Knight to say, you know, this is where I leave you. That's the Shiva movie. So uh, I was very excited to kind of revisit it and revisit the movie, but obviously watch it for the first time. So before we get into the IMDb summary, and I, I'm going to take out my magnifying glass, my Jewish magnifying glass shaped like a Star of David. Um, <laughs> now, I know you're, you know, particular about your melodies and, and Jewish customs and stuff like that. I did want to talk about how accurate you felt like the Shiva, you know, was depicted in this film. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to bring that up as we go through. I okay, okay, notes, okay. But I will say, and I'm going to I'm gonna drop some other films, one that we haven't discussed yet, but I'm hoping we will another Shiva movie, so I'll spoil later in the conversation for mm -hmm. when I drop that. But the Shiva itself, I actually think the movie did a great job at it. Okay. I was, I was, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. So I, I feel like initially my knee-jerk reaction, especially after, you know, starting this podcast, is to kind of like find the flaw in like, oh, you, you could have done it a little bit differently. And I'm not going to get into my review of it, but I feel like at the beginning when the rabbi, again, played by Ben Schwartz, was just like, yeah, you just have to sit down for seven days on chairs. And then they, like the first day of it, they're just all sitting down and they're not doing anything. And I, I was like, this is not exactly Shiva. I mean, I've never sat Shiva. Hopefully, you know, poo, 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 I don't have to for a long time. But I don't know that it's like, by yourself initially, unless I'm missing something, right? Is usually with people, right? Yeah, I, I assume that's what he meant. You're kind of just sitting alone in the chairs, but they were all like from the beginning, I think they all sit down in a row with each other. Right. That definitely visually looked consistent with what I've seen. I uh -huh. will concede that I'm definitely coming at this with an understanding of what Shiva is, you know, having oh. gone to many Shiva homes and sure, you know, thank sure. God again myself, I never had to, but knock on wood. it was, uh, knock on yeah. wood, exactly. So I'm wondering if, you know, I saw certain things like they were sitting in the low chairs and, <clears throat> and I noticed you know, that we'll go through this. Yep. Yeah. And like, and I just kind of filled in the gaps in my mind because sure. I was like, oh, wow, they're really doing it. And maybe to the untrained eye, some of this might be a little confusing. Like you're just sitting for a couple right. of days. What does that mean? Exactly. That is kind of what it is. Sure. So let's get into it, man. Let's, uh, let's find out a little bit more about this movie. Harry, why don't you hit us with that IMDb summary? For sure. So the summary reads. After their father passes away, four grown siblings are forced to return to their childhood home and live under the same roof for a week, along with their oversharing mother and an assortment of spouses, exes, and must-have-beens. Hmm, I like that. That's a good summary. But you know what's missing from there? Hmm. Shouldn't have? Well, just anything about Shiva, Jewishness, anything Oh, like interesting. That. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, it was their father passes away. They're forced to return home and live under the, roof, the same roof for a week. Right. So... Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Jews on Film. So we left off with the IMDb summary, and now we're going to jump into the actual plot for the film. So Daniel, why don't you get us started? How does the movie open? So the movie starts off with uh, Jason Bateman's Judd Altman, who we find out is a radio producer, uh, and his the on, on-air talent is Dak Shepard, who's playing a host called Wade. And he has this show, it's called The Man Up Show, and essentially it's just him answering phone calls, giving love advice to guys. And, you know, it's like a nice, funny montage up top, and he's kind of an alpha sort of bro. Uh, yeah, Jason the, is, the is, advice is definitely a little bit shallow, a little bit bro-y, a little, yeah, you know, yeah. what we might call toxic about, you know, a couple bit. years after the movie came out. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, maybe didn't answer the lexicon at that point. But, you know, we could tell yeah. that, like, he tolerates him. But you could tell Judd is, like, you know, his nose to the to the books, kind of like a very serious employee, and Wade kind of blows him off because he's got to leave early. Uh, Wade leaves early, and then Judd follows shortly after with a birthday cake for his wife, Quinn. Uh, so he goes home, and he discovers that Quinn has been sleeping with Wade for the last year, which causes Judd to sort of flip out and blow out the candles and, you know, move out, essentially. And uh, that's sort of where his downward spiral begins. But then he gets a mysterious phone call from his sister. Listen, there's something else. Dad wants us to sit Shiva. Dad's dead. Yeah, apparently that's the optimal time to do it. Ask them three times to remove this awful tube. We give the man his dignity. I don't understand the Shiva. Mom's not even Jewish and Dad was an atheist. A Jewish atheist and this is what he wanted. I'm just gonna do it myself. No, it's okay, Mom. Let the nurses do it. What am I going to do? Kill him? Mommy, leave it! And yeah, and that's that kind of sets the plot into motion. But as much as they're using the Shiva as the sort of, you know, this Jewish custom as this gateway to, I think, a lot of other, you know, repressed feelings and thoughts and questions about love, they, there is a sense of removal from the Jewishness of it all. You know, there's like, they're very quick to point out, we're not, we're not Jewish, right? Because our mother's not Jewish, so we're not even Jewish. And our dad was an atheist, so... It, it's just it's a conscious sure. decision, I think, made up very early in the film to create a little bit of distance. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think necessarily that they discount themselves as being Jewish, but they say that the mom is not Jewish. Um, right. And so, you know, uh, you know, Ben Schwartz is uh, Rabbi Charles, who I'm going to call uh, Boner because that was his high school nickname and everyone knows him from high school. And, he, you know, he's still in town. That's how they refer to him. And so they call him Boner. So that's what we'll call him, Rabbi Boner, or just Boner. Uh, and so. They they lay out the rules of the Shiva and then they everyone kind of regroups. We have Tina Fey's Wendy Altman comes into town. We have Corey Stoll's Paul Altman, who has never left town. He runs his father's uh, sporting goods store. And then later on, we're introduced to Adam Driver's Philip Altman, who drives up at the funeral in a Porsche with very loud music playing. So we kind of get a sense from everyone's introduction what kind of a person they are. And the but, family dynamics, I would say. Oh yeah, that's it's. I thought that was kind of like interesting. Every character, at least at the beginning, has these very over the top sort of characteristics. So you can kind of tell, oh, this is this kind of person. This is this kind of person. And Judd is sort of this sort of safe, not risky person. He does the sort of conventional path, which he does talk about later and does unconventional things later. But at the beginning, we have to allow our character to grow a little bit. So, yeah, what I think you mentioned earlier, you know, the sh- the capturing of the Shiva. Right. There, there's this nice montage where it captures what I thought the feelings of, of the family functions where, you know, oh, so you can have kids. Oh, OK. So and what do you do? OK, OK. And where's your where's your wife? And like this, this constant sort of really like prying from family members 
I don't know if it's unique to the Jewish tradition, but like, you know, family tends to ask about questions that maybe they shouldn't ask. And I thought it captured it really well during that sort of first couple of days in Shiva. Yeah, I, I definitely, I think when I was watching that scene, that was the scene where I was like, this is cool because as much as you're right that they might not have explained all the details about the Shiva process. And there, there is a sequence where they're talking to Rabbi Boner, right? They're having the conversation with him and they're like, oh, can we just sit for three days? Like this three work? And he's like, no, Shiva is Hebrew for seven. It literally right. means seven. That's yeah. what you have to do. So they, and they, in a, a funny expositional way, they, they go through, you know, it's seven days and then they see the very low chairs and they're like, we're not sitting there. And like, no, that's the point. You're supposed to sit very low and be on the ground. And right. like, they, they do go through the steps of explaining it. But that scene I thought was really cool to show, you know, the scene of them kind of sitting there and fielding all those sure. questions because, you know, after introducing it, they didn't have to spend time in like, you know, what a Shiva house feels like. And you do get this sense of people just sort of, you see people you haven't seen in a long time, people right. out of town and there's yep. a lot of catch up. Like I think interspersed in the catch up is, you know, you usually hear from the family, a lot of reflections about the, you know, the lost, you know, the yes. lost uh, sibling, parent, whoever it is. So yeah. I think I wish that they had spliced in a little bit more of that, but I know they, the film makes a point to say that not all of them had the closest relationship with their father, but just including, yeah. but definitely, but I just think including those conversations and having people like check in and like, you know, there's the sequence where Judd has to answer for everyone's like, where's your wife? And he's like lying about it. And he says, oh, she, she pulled the she disc. Hurt herself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. She like heard like she pulled a disc or something and they make, they make a joke out of it, but that kind of repetition and that, you know, putting on that smile and trying to field all these different people coming to you. It, it feels like in my experience, you know, a Jewish gathering or a Shiva house and just taking the time to do that scene and have these kids sort of sit in a row from each other and field those questions. Right. I thought that was pretty uh, iconic. Yeah. I mean, one thing that Judd does throughout the film is he kind of just doesn't really tell people what's going on. He kind of suppresses it, you know, so whether it's like his wife, Quinn has cheated on him and they're not together anymore or further on down the line where she, you know, mentions that she's pregnant, spoiler alert. Uh, he doesn't tell anybody for a while. I, I wanted to jump back to one point you said about like yeah. sh sharing reflections of the father. So usually like, oh, you know, we had such a great time and such a caring person. Meanwhile, uh, Jane Fonda's Hillary Altman, the mother, uh, she wrote a book called The Cradle and All. I think it's like a memoir or uh, like a self-help book or something like that. Very influential for a lot of people in the movie, apparently. But she spent a lot of time talking about his member and how well endowed he was and sort of this really sort of like inappropriate. She has like a very open uh, relationship to sexuality in the film. They, they That's like a recurring gag. And so they spend yep. a, a good amount of time talking about him and his performance. And she's just telling uh, family, friends about this, which I thought was kind of a, a real peek into the sort of not dysfunction, but weirdness of the family yeah yeah and i think her character more than anyone else is the one who really reflects on you know their father and i you know it, it wasn't so present in that scene the kind of reflection you know and maybe right. with the strangers you know there wasn't so much dialogue about the father sure. but there are moments throughout the film you know there, there's a conversation that you know judd has with his mother and she's yeah. like he's like why why are you like handling this so well and he's and she's just like as every day goes on, I remember him more as like the great man that he was and our love life and everything like that, and you know less so you know the you know the sort of bedridden you know sick person that I kind of knew the last couple of days of his life. So there is a lot of reflection, and they they kind of sneak in those moments of thinking about the father. But I would say it's not as the movie's certainly not about the father. It's it's about no, Shiva's effect no. on the siblings' dynamic with their mother. But there's a little bit of like a, you know, reflecting on, you know, their relationship sure. with their father. Judd, 
in particular, and we, we'll get to that later when we discuss it. But for the most part, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of just his death is almost a vehicle for, you know, the siblings to get together. Yeah. For the change to happen, for sure. I mean, less that you think that Sean Levy, the director, uh, wanted to have that scene that you just mentioned be sincere. She does button the scene by saying, oh, I'm also taking... Uh, Xanax like Tic Tacs. Yes. So that's helping too. That. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty funny. I think um, one of the things I did want to touch on because, you know, as the siblings kind of hang out more and the spouses hang out more, you know, just like a guest after, and fish, they, they get bad after like a few days, right? And so they start to like blow up at each other and really get on each other's nerves and sort of regress a bit about, you know, their stuff, you're the irresponsible one, you're the coward, you're the this, you're the that. Like, there's a lot of weird relationships going on. And so I wanted to talk to you as someone who has siblings and I can relate. As someone yeah. who grew up with your siblings, but now you see them as adults, like, what's that been like, that sort of transition when you hang out with them for holidays and things like that? Does that uh, ever cause friction? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would say that not a lot of fist fights. You know, we don't really <laughs> yeah. break out into huge or fights. We don't glass in yeah, your head or glass in our head. We're not arguing over sort of the family business. And, you know, I, I wouldn't I don't want to compare ourselves too tightly to that. But yeah, like we we I grew up in a very close household. You know, we were kind of all born within a couple of years of each other. So, you know, from my oldest, I'm one of four. And the oldest brother to the youngest brother is like a five year gap total. So right. we were all like sort of very close together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that's changed a lot is like in the last couple of years, I got, I got married this past year and my sister also got married this past Mazel year. So. And my brother got married a couple of years before then. So very quickly, you know, in our sort of adult years, we've mm-hmm. become a family of just sort of married children. And I think right. the interaction of bringing new people into the fold and like mm-hmm. spouses, and obviously right. that's a big part of, of this film, kind of like how each of their spouses either navigates, you know, different relationships or, you know, brings this kind of like outsider perspective. You know, that, that's certainly something that I've experienced that I've learned as my family has kind of expanded. You know, it's interesting, actually, I'm trying to, because I'm trying to obviously connect this back to the film. This is sure. a film podcast we're talking about. This is where I leave you. And I think the relationship with the spouses kind of in this film, it's almost like each of the siblings, when they're back in their childhood home, almost like sheds their spouses. They all kind of create a little bit of distance sure, from their spouse. Sure. And yeah. they all fight. Some of them resolve that by the end, but there's this distance and they kind of fall more into their young sibling struggles yeah it's like they forget that they're married and they forget that they're you know adults and living this external life they regress to how you imagine they fought 10 years earlier when they were you know in high school growing up in the house right well i mean it's interesting because tina fey's husband is this sort of like douchey business guy who's like constantly consumed by work and not at all present as a dad so he's kind of out of the picture there's a few scenes of him kind of like on the headset, walking around. I'm just like, get out of here. Just go in a different room. I feel like that's so annoying. Anyway, yeah, I think that's yeah. the point you're trying to get he's, across. He's, he's a little bit of a caricature of that, I think. We don't we don't get anything about his character other than no, no. You know, whatever he's phone calls he's having. Busy guy, right? And so Corey really? Stoll's uh wife, Catherine Hahn, is uh, you know, they're trying to have a trying to conceive, have a baby, so they're doing IVF and all that kind of stuff. And so that it causes that, a little bit of tension. For sure, because, you know, Catherine Hahn used to date Jason Bateman's character before, and that's like sort of a issue. And then, you know, Jason Bateman shows up by himself, um, and Adam Driver shows up with his former therapist, who's played by Connie Britton. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I think you're right. I think the the drama and the stuff sort of heats up when they all get together, you know, like going back to the film they go out to beers. I think they sneak out at some point. And so they go out and get beers as a, as a family. 
And I think someone said something like, oh, I don't know what, like after having beers together and they're talking and they're fighting a little bit, but they kind of, you know, said, this is great. All of us together. I don't know why we don't do this more often. Because we don't like each other very much. Seriously, I never got a chance to go out drinking with my brothers and my sister. Corey Stoll is like a very um, pragmatic, but like emotionally distant kind of person. You know, he has yeah. emotions, but he's just like very abrasive. Jason Bateman's kind of the heart. Adam Driver's kind of reckless. And I don't know. I know Adam Driver's character, his Philip, is the youngest. I don't know if Corey right. Stoll. I assume he was the oldest. Yeah, so I think seems that, that way. This clear, there's this clear oldest, youngest dynamic. You right. know, at, at one point, Adam Driver makes, his character makes the comment that, you know, he grew up in an empty house. Like everyone, by the time he was legal to drink, everyone else had kind of moved out already. Right. You know, he says it in that bar scene. So you get the sense that they didn't quite grow up in the same household. And that's why there's a little bit of a disconnect in terms of how they were raised and, you know, the kind of people they are. Totally. And, you know, Corey Stoll, uh, for those who watched or listened to our previous podcast on Midnight in Paris, he's the same person who played uh, Ernest Hemingway, which was really so terrific. Um, yeah. Daniel, so, before we move on, I wanted to hear about your family experience and some of your siblings. You know, how did it compare? Do you, do you see yourself in any of the characters in this film? I feel like I'm Judd, to be honest. Like Ever, like, Everyone wants to be Judd. You know, ah, the protagonist? I mean, how could you not say that? Sure. I'm not like reckless like Philip. I'm also like not uh, as responsible as Paul. I mean, in some ways I am. Uh, my relationship, so I have three brothers. And so like I'm two years younger than my oldest brother. I'm the second. And then five years to my next brother. And then five years further down, you know, mm -hmm. so 10 years down for my youngest brothers. But yeah, I think definitely when we are in close quarters and... There's stuff to get upset about or, you know, stuff just, you know, friction happens, I think, which is kind of normal, I think, with siblings, because maybe it's like leftover stuff from childhood. Who knows? We could ask Jane Fonda's character and see if she exactly. can kind of like analyze it. But I think it's all like, I think being able to like talk about things as adults to each other, but then also to like reminisce about things in the past. is kind of nice. So it wasn't like we never got into fisticuffs as adults. So yeah, no no glass shards in my head either. But yeah, I think I think it really captured the sort of whole notion of like going back to your parents' house, sleeping on the pullout couch that doesn't quite fit, the noisy upstairs, not being able to sleep, the electricity going out, all these things that happen at the Altman household, I could kind of relate to. Um yeah. In some regard. yeah. My electricity's fine at home, but you know. <laughs> That's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um I did want to kind of move on in the story a little bit. You know, I, as I alluded to, uh, one of the things that that sort of, as they're sitting, Shiva Judd finds out that his his I'm not sure if they're divorced, but his his wife at the time, I guess Quinn, is pregnant, and he he finds out that it's that it's his child because Wade, in a uh, shocking twist, is actually sterile. So Judd has to now deal with figuring out, you know, what it's going to be like to be a, a dad with his wife who cheated on him and then all the while it seems that like you know tina Fey's wendy is sort of falling for her old flame hori uh, who lives across the street played by timothy oliphant he's got this pretty big scar on his forehead from a traumatic brain injury that she feels yeah. guilt about because she was involved with uh and then also you know judd gets involved with rose burns character penny and they they kind of rekindle their romance um uh, I, I mean, I might save this for the review, but I'm curious, like, what did you think about this whole sort of use it and lose it kind of situation where they basically sleep with other people as a way to like further their own growth? Both Judd and Wendy are like, 
rekindling old romances with local people. And it's only after this happens that they then have this sort of epiphany about their own personal development. One of the big themes of the movie is, you know, reconsidering love and what that means. And this, this Shiva, this kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, life and death thing is kind of, it sets this reset on all of them. And, you know, being in the same house kind of forces them to consider, you know, where they were when they were last home and how their lives went in other directions. And it's kind of this theme of, you know, when you go back to where you were 10 years ago, how could you imagine, or 20 years ago, how could you imagine, you know, the next 20 years, or the, the last 20 years having gone, had you made other decisions, had you decided differently? And I think that they're kind of putting that in, and all the characters are considering that to some extent and are, you know, back under their old, old home and, and trying to figure that out. And I, I think a part of it was connected, I thought, to um, like the, the concept of Shiva and like the concept of death. And it was like, when you're faced with death, when you're faced with your own mortality, it kind of forces you to reconsider things. But one one thing that I found interesting, one conversation that Judd has is, you know, he's like with Wendy, you know, because obviously you mentioned that the two characters that are reconsidering all this stuff and they're like sitting on the roof, which apparently was their spot that they would right. like, you know, right. go out in the middle of the night. And he makes some comment just about like how no one, like no adults are happy and no one knows how to, right. you know, no one, and like, you know, and love like sucks. And that sometimes Wendy says something like, you know, love sucks, but sometimes it's, it's nice. So, and that right. makes it worth it. And right, right, there's right. this very like depressed, you know, midlife crisis sense of just, I think that the movie's thesis seems to be do what makes you happy, find the person you love because otherwise mm. everything else sucks and you're not right. going to be happy with anything. And yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what's happening. It's like find the person that you actually love, and that extends every character. Oh, true. Kind of okay. ends up with someone new, right? Because we have, you know, their mother, you know, in the big twist towards the end of the film, it turns out that she was gay and had a relationship with her neighbor across the street. And right. that's kind of like, you know, and like they they present that as like their father knew about it and you know was on board and it was all good. So that that's a nice Yeah, what did you know, say? <laughs> that he was like a very liberated person or some sort like of like something like that. Yeah. And yeah, and then Judd, obviously, you know, he kind of ends up with Penny and, you know, we don't see Tina Fey's character, Wendy, end up with Hori again, but no. there's a sense that she's like, you know, she's created a rift with her her, her husband or current husband. And, yeah. you know, in some senses, Corey Stahl and Catherine Hahn, you know, their relationship kind of like they renew their relationship. It's sure. almost like they fall in love with each other again, you know, and Adam Driver splits up. And I'm just, you know, I'm going through these just to make the point that sure. that, that feels like the central theme at the heart of the film more so than it's anything to do with the shiva it's you know about kind of resetting your love life yeah no i'm here for that reprioritizing love the reason why i asked this question is because like that one shot where like hori's standing on his front porch like in his bathrobe with his huge scar on his forehead and tina fey's character is driving away in her black like escalade limousine or you know shuttle to the airport She's just like, bye, like you get to stay here and live this existence and I'm going to go back to my life. But we had a fling and it was so like, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because I could see that like Penny and, and Judd, that there is a future for them because she's like, call me when you figure your shit out. And he ends up driving to Portland, Maine at the end of the movie and he goes to find himself. And as we always do in speculating about the 10 years later or the sequel to the, this is where I leave you too. Maybe when Jane Fonda's character dies and they all get back together, you know, like I bet, I bet that Judd and Penny will end up together. Uh, I feel like that relationship has legs because they just seem destined for each other. 
this film is not, you know, we, we mentioned that scene on the, on the roof where they're saying, you know, mm -hmm. no one's happy and like whatever. Right. This doesn't feel like a happy ending type of movie where, you know, they're all set up for eternal right. bliss. Right, like, right, right. Judd kind of says like, I'll find, like Judd says, I need to live on my own for a little bit and I'll find you soon, Penny. But he's also about to have a child with his ex-wife and he's in a right. very complicated situation. Right. And he, his big theme, and we, we should mention this, he says, you know, he has in his conversations with Wendy, he talks about how he's always gone the safe route. And for once in yeah. his life, he wants to choose complicated. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the punchline for all their relationships. Everyone is going to be complicated. Like Wendy is now going to have a very complicated relationship with her husband. And is she ever going to leave him and go for, you know, and go to Hori? I'm not so sure. Like, I, I don't think anyone has this objectively positive. It's just confront the discomfort and, you know, in, in all your relationships, like we see it with, uh, you know, the Catherine and Corey Stahl, like them too. It's not going to be perfect, but no. confront some of the complication, I think. Right. That, that makes sense for sure. Moving along in the story, after Judd finds out that his uh, wife Quinn is pregnant, you know, things kind of wind down for the film. We, we have Judd teaming up against Wade uh, with his siblings and eventually Wade decides that he's no longer interested in Quinn because she's clearly, he's not here for it. He's not interested in being like a, a dad figure. But I thought it was interesting, you know, Judd and his mom seem to have like really good conversations about the dad. And one thing that he says to his mom is like, I'm nervous that dad would have hated me. Like he just didn't yeah. seem to have such a great relationship with his dad. And it's only after he's taking a shower and is getting shocked that he has this sort of like fever dream type situation where he remembers these like memories of his dad because I think at some point earlier on in the movie they're going around the table trying to tell funny anecdotes about the dad and Judd has nothing which is like a sad thing you know it's it sort of sets him up to have this sort of epiphany but at the beginning yeah he's kind of drawing a blank so yeah I think I think the characterization of their father is that he wasn't capable or just didn't show love in a very expressive mm -hmm. way right there's a scene where I think it's uh it might be I forgot who it's with. It's Judd and one of the other characters and they kind of are reflecting on how their dad used to like show that they loved him. Maybe it's with the Adam Driver. With the forehead? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. By like pushing their forehead against each other, which right. they kind of joke is like cold and not feeling. But honestly, that, that feels pretty intimate it's, to me to like yeah, totally. press your head against your For bodies. sure. Yeah, I think but I think they're they're talking about it like it's you know he he couldn't even kiss us he would just like stick his forehead against us I think that's the line that right. Adam Driver's character says so I think the point of that scene is to kind of show that you know their father was very sort of repressed emotionally and in a sense you kind of get I think the idea that that Judd inherits that from him and that's mm -hmm. why he's a little bit non-confrontational with yeah. his emotions and that's yeah, why he's yeah. stunted and that's why when he catches his wife cheating you know he doesn't have this huge emotional outburst it's just like get out, I'm leaving, I'm going to stop answering your calls because he cannot confront it. And it's obviously, you know, at the death of his father, he can't, you know, he doesn't really right. cry at any point earlier in the film and he doesn't really break down because it's kind of inherited from, you know, their father is this, that's kind of the source of their, I guess all of their brothers, but especially Judd's, you know, inability to meet each other emotionally and be very expressive. So that was kind of the, the read that I got on their father. And I think by the end of it, when he has that sort of, you know, electric, electrocuted induced, you know, right. flashback. Right. He feels, he, he kind of concludes, oh, you know, dad used to call me this nickname and he showed love in his ways. And right. that's maybe what opens Judd up to love again. Right. But, um, but yeah, but it, it's clear that they have this very stunted relationship, like you were saying. Remind me, Judd. what was the nickname again? Was it Jay? That sounds right. That okay. Sounds right Let's go with Judd. That. Yeah, you know, exactly. I think one other scene I want to call out before we kind of like wrap up the plot summary is uh, I think it 
maybe it was at the end of Shiva, they all go back to shul together, synagogue, and, uh, you know, the four siblings, you know, Judd puts on his dad's uh, sport coat, and he's hanging out in shul, synagogue, and he goes outside with Philip, Adam Driver's character, and they go and, and smoke a joint because he's found uh, two joints in his pocket from his dad. He's like, oh, I didn't know dad smoked weed. So I thought, like, you know, I've had that experience before. I've gotten high with my brothers, and it's like, mm-hmm. it. oh, yeah, it's like a terrific experience because you're just kind of like a little bit more loose and, like, open emotionally, and I thought it captured it really well. Tina Fey did not partake in that particular scene, so it was mostly the three brothers sitting in a classroom. I thought the characterization was like a little bit like over the top. They were like dancing and goofing around, but like even when Corey Stoll's brother, Corey Stoll, who's the older brother, the serious one, comes in and he smokes, he ends up loosening up and they end up having like a great time. And that like shows you, you know, the softer side of, of having siblings and, and sort of getting back to that more cuddly time, that more loving time. And, uh, yeah, I thought it kind of left at least, you know, towards the end of the movie as we wrap up, we we decide we see that the the brothers will work together in harmony on this Altman's sporting goods store that's in town. Uh and you know, Hillary Altman, Jane Fonda's character comes out like you said, and uh you know, towards the end of the film Judd finally cries, you know, he finally lets out this huge cry uh talking uh I think he's when he's talking to his mom about the dad. Yeah. That's sort of that scene you're talking about earlier. Um, but yeah, and then it just kind of wraps up and everyone kind of goes their separate ways. But everyone has changed sort of drastically, while not directly tied to the Shiva ceremony, but I think just spending all the time together has forced them to like look inside themselves and look outside at others in the family and see, you know, see how they can grow. For sure, but I definitely think that it remains complicated. You know, you mentioned that sure. scene, they have that, they're sort of smoking together and they're all relaxed and light. But if you remember a couple of scenes later in the next scene, I don't remember exactly when it is, you know, they have another fight where uh, yeah. Corey Stoll's character, you know, he thinks that Judd is still, right. you know, is, he sees him with his, with Corey Stoll's wife, with Catherine Hahn, and he thinks that, oh, you still love her from when you dated, you know, before we got married right. for, you know, a couple months. And so even when they have their really relaxed moments, interspersed are mm-hmm. this real intensity and like i don't even remember if there's such a meaningful come down from their big fights other than you know the next day it kind of ends and they've all relaxed a little the shiva ends and they've relaxed a little bit and it's right. just you know i'm excited to go into business with you and we're going to make this work but there's no real sense of you know cohesive harmony it isn't this no. perfect happy ending all of a sudden no. we're, we're the best of friends no they're still siblings they're definitely going to fight again in the future sure. they're all going to have complicated love lives but they're also you know going to work them out and you know they're going to be siblings and a family kind of forever in a very sort of sweet sentimental bow on the on the end of the film yeah i mean they're they're human so they are fallible and not perfect and you know subject to change you know like as we see from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie they all change in little ways but they're also still the same in some ways so you know Corey stole's like bring them into the business yeah yeah Oh, Paul, you are a good guy. Secret's out. He's the good brother. Very cool of you. Thanks. Okay, okay, before you get too excited, here's the deal. When it comes to Philip Mm -hmm. screwing up, like he will, you and I are partners 50-50. Okay? That is a deal. You got it. So that was our summary of the plot of This Is Where I Leave You. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with our ratings. We'll be right back. 
And we're back. We're here talking about This Is Where I Leave You. Um, I imagine that most people are already tuned in at this point. Nobody's just tuning into the end of the podcast for the ratings. Unless you're just a ratings head and you want to hear this part, then this part's for you. So then there you go. So we start out by rating uh, our films on one to five Jewish stars, taking in things into account like the cast and the crew of the film, the Jewish content, Jewish themes, and then they maybe as like a bonus category, is this one good for the Jews? Harry, where to begin? Well, I want to start by mentioning some of the, the Jewish isms that I found sprinkled throughout the film. You know, yep. we always try to pay attention to, you know, throwaway lines, scenes, moments. Obviously, we're talking about Shiva here. So even just explaining Shiva, you know, we, we mentioned the scene where the rabbi is kind of explaining, you know, the seven days, what you're sitting like, definitely some some Jewish elements. I'm right. looking through some of my notes, you know, when, um, uh, when uh, what's his name, finds out that Judd's ex-wife is, is pregnant, when uh, when Adam Driver's character finds that out, you know, he gives yeah. him a quick, Phil, thank you, he gives him a quick mazel tov. Yeah. You know, they talk about, you know, they're in shul on, on Shabbos and, you know, they're in synagogue on Saturday and they call it, you know, Shabbos, they say Shabbat right. Shalom. They're wearing those big kippahs. They sing right. a song. It's, I, I wrote Hine that Matu. Like, Matu. Yeah, exactly. Are you, were you familiar with the song? Sure. Yeah. So they so they throw that in there. So definitely a couple of Jewish mentions. You know, we, we've spoken about deep cuts and it's, it's hard to say, you know, relative to, you know, our familiarity or someone who's less familiar or someone mm-hmm. who's, you know, more familiar, but they didn't feel so, like such deep cuts to me. I'd say I heard some Mazel Tovs and I'm like, yeah, people know Mazel Tov, that's familiar, right. but... Other than that Hine Matov, it felt like some surface level stuff. They didn't really get yeah. into the nitty gritty of the Jewishness of this family. They throw a kugel. I forgot. There's a shout yeah. out to kugel at the that's end. That's right. Have you tasted this someone... kugel? It's terrible. Yeah, that's what he says. Exactly. That's one of the last lines of the film. So maybe that's a deeper cut, but I'm honestly not so sure about that. Yeah. What do you think about all that? I mean, it was playing the hits, like you said. You know, it's like the things that people are familiar with. And maybe if you're not familiar with Shiva, I think they did a pretty good job of explaining it. And they kind of let the family drama play out using this sort of, that's the setting of the film. Um, But yeah, it's not, you know, nobody said Kaddish in the film. I thought that was kind of a big omission. Um, You know, Kaddish is the prayer for the, for the, you know, as, as someone who mourns in, in, in that time, you're supposed to, with the, with the prayers that you say three times a day, you're supposed to say a Kaddish prayer, like a prayer for the dead. And I'm surprised that that wasn't at least worked into it in some way. Although not so surprised because it's not such a, you know, accessible prayer, you know? So, uh, but I thought, you know, I wanted to jump back to the cast and the crew because, Please. I mean, Sean Levy and Jonathan Tropper, safe to say that they're Jewish, right? But the cast, yeah. I mean, I looked it up. Everyone except for Corey Stoll is not Jewish as far as I know. So we could, I don't know how much time we have, but like the whole notion of Jew face again, rears its head in this film. I mean, yeah. the, the actors were terrific. No, no doubt about it. Nobody had like this sort of Jewish caricature. So I'm glad that like, it's not like a, you know, no Bradley Cooper. Noses. Exactly. Yeah. No prosthetic noses, uh, no like Brooklyn accents or whatever. I think, in theory, this movie is supposed to take place in Long Island, from what I read. But, you know, overall, I, there's a lot of good-looking Jews, but it was just su- surprising that they didn't get more Jews into this cast. Yeah, I agree with you. It was, an int- it was a questionable decision. And I know that there's a big, you know, sort of secularized theme of these characters, and yeah. they're so removed from it. And we mentioned that in the beginning, that the movie makes a point to say that, you know, their mother's not Jewish, and, 
you know, they, you know, their father was an atheist. So like, they don't see themselves as Jewish, but like, this isn't about outsiders observing Shiva for the sake of, you know, observing it. it it's sure. supposed to be Jewish characters, you know, so to speak, reconnecting with their Jewishness. So it was an interesting decision not to go with Jews. And this, this, I remember at the time when this movie was cast, it was like a big deal that this was like a very stacked cast and a bunch sure. of big actors. And it's like, right. wow, like Faye's in a movie and Adam Driver and, you know, Jason Bateman, of course. And Ben Schwartz. Yeah. Shout out to Ben Schwartz. Ben Schwartz, for sure. Another Jew. Honda, of course. Exactly yeah. right. He is a Jew. The rabbi He's the other Jewish. Jew. So Corey and him are the Jews in the film. Right, right. But um, it definitely felt like big names in favor of actual Jewish characters. Like yep. it didn't feel like a narrative attempt to get, you know, not Jewish characters for actors for whatever reason. It mm -hmm. was just they went for the biggest names. But I, I noticed it the same as you did, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, thematically for the film, I think this sort of, uh, we haven't busted it out yet. So just give me a second. It might take a while, but up oh, here it is. Here's that stretch. Um, sure. you know, I think, I, I think like the whole notion of chuva and the notion of like repentance or just kind of like working on yourself, returning, you know, literally returning. So there's that there's like literally everyone's returning to their, to their place of, of origin, but also just huh. like kind of working on yourself. Um, and some people end up in better off situations. And so, like you said, it's not the Hollywood ending, so it's not, everything's not wrapped up in a bow, but there is some change in the film. Um, but aside from like the sort of very thin sort of veneer of this like Shiva notion, it didn't like, yeah, it didn't ring so Jewish to me. Because there's yeah. a lot of family drama that sort of really took over the set piece of, of Shiva. I, I completely agree with you. And I, I alluded to this at the top, but I definitely think that this movie uses Shiva as a means to get to its conversations sure. about the classic themes of, you know, family coming home together and re reconsidering your life and facing mortality and facing, you know, your child at home and thinking about what you should have done and repairing relationships. Like the overall theme of this movie is probably about you know, what it means to find love, relationships, family, you know, that that works for you. And that mm -hmm. doesn't feel to me like a Jewish or, or an inherently Jewish or a Shiva connected theme. Right. You know, I, I, I did this thought experiment where I said, what if you took this film and didn't make them Jewish? And instead, it was just, you know, one of those like classic funeral, like, you know, right. the, the template of a funeral movie, sure. where everyone comes home for a funeral, and all of a mm -hmm. sudden, they're together. So you don't keep them there necessarily for seven days. And maybe right. that kind of gives you time for the characters to really, you know, learn about each other and spend home for a meaningful amount of time. Mm -hmm. But this movie felt like it used Shiva and its Jewishness as a vehicle to tell the stories about right. family and becoming yourself that it wanted to tell. There wasn't a lot of payoff, I thought, for the Shiva of it all, the Jewishness yeah. of it all. Yeah. And I think with also like with the payoff, like you're saying, one of the sort of, critiques I have of the film was that because it's such a stacked cast and because there's so many good actors in there and it's it's similar to like do you ever see that movie Magnolia Paul Thomas Anderson movie I haven't I need to there's a lot of characters in that movie and we follow all of their storylines but it's a three and a half hour movie so you have that time to do it this is an hour and this 40 not, minute movie yeah so a lot of change needs to happen to a lot of characters very quickly with Judd being the main character but all these tertiary characters have their own sort of side plots some of which get a good amount of screen time, some of which are reduced down to like, oh, I have my fertility shot and I'm so horny that I'm going to sleep with my ex-boyfriend. It's like, so they kind of like reduce it down to the sort of barest essentials. Um, 
which I thought was like a little frustrating because I could have done with maybe a few less characters and maybe more time dedicated to each one of them. It felt that. And I, I've never read the book, but I was thinking that in the scene where uh, with Tina Fey's Wendy when she's yeah. talking to Hori. And like this Hori thing is just undeveloped because all you've got are some of these like glances and it's like, oh, you're still living here? Like, yeah, brain injury. And, you know, we mentioned this line, but she has this kind of throwaway where she's like, you know, I'm so sorry for what happened to you. And he's like, oh, it's not your fault what happened to me. She's like, but it was. And I shouldn't have left. And he right. was like, no, I would have begged you to leave like if you had stayed. Right. And it's just, it, it feels like, and I, I want to give the book the benefit of the doubt that I'm sure there's more to that and we can yeah. figure out what happened. Maybe they were yeah. in a car accident totally. together. Maybe she was driving or she was in the passenger. And right. You get this sense of like the shared history they have and her maybe having more interactions also with her husband, you know, who, like I mentioned, is just a very underwritten kind of just caricature of, mm -hmm. you know, busy, busy guy. work yeah. call guy. Exactly. And I just got the sense that like you said, there's so many characters here. This movie should not have been an hour and 40 minutes like it was. It probably would have benefited from a much longer cut, if I had to guess. I mean, I would go so far as to say, like, Nick's a sibling. Like, get rid yeah. of one sibling. Maybe, I, I'm not going to pick favorites here, you know, but I would say, like, one few, one fewer storyline could have, like, benefited. But I kind of agree. Um, agree. I mean, overall, I thought the performances were good. Um, but, yeah, let's get to our ratings. Harry, what did you think? identifiably Jewish, you know, in terms of like uh, good for the Jews, bad for the Jews. I think you're watching this and it's like, these are Jews, you know, and uh, we can answer that question as well. But I think in its overall ranking, it wasn't so, it wasn't such a Jewish film. Like, right. like when I think of Jewish film, I think mm -hmm. of like thematically, I think of like the depths of it, like Jewish, but this was just a film about, you know, a family coming together, reconsidering their lives, you know, facing, you know, new and old challenges kind of thing that happened to have a Jewish frame, but that's about it. So I'll give it like one and a half, maybe two Jewish stars, maybe two Jewish stars. Too. Okay. Because like, this is the movie about Shiva. They, they make such a right. big point, the whole central conceit of Shiva. Sure. So for, for me to have said one, you know, would have been ridiculous, but I don't want to give it more than two because I don't know, I, I want, I guess I wanted more. You know, I wanted the movie sure. itself to benefit from the Jewishness of the frame. I didn't want it to just be the gateway into the rest of their stories, especially with actors who we mentioned are not even Jewish and not right. even, you know, playing Jewish, whatever For that sure. would mean. Yeah. I mean, what, I'll give, what did you I'll, think about it? I think I'm probably in the same ballpark. I, I was going to go a little bit more generous. Uh, I have a lot of stars to give, so I, I'll probably yeah. go like two and a half just solely, you know, that's not like, that much more generous. No, but I'll say I'm giving a little bit extra because of Ben Schwartz and Corey Stoll's characters being Jewish. So I want to, you I know, hold it down. Yeah, they hold it down really well. Uh, Coruscant in the film doesn't do anything sort of like Jewish. I feel like Ben Schwartz is the comic relief. Um, boy, if we had a rabbi like that, that would be something yeah. else. Uh, yeah, but I think overall, like you said, the Jewish stuff provides a set piece. There's there's a lot of food at the at the shiva throughout the thing, so that was you know pretty accurate. Jewish. A lot of bagels, a lot of locks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think it's two and a half stars and, uh, you know, that's where we're at as far as like the good for the Jews, bad for the Jews. Yeah. It's not a great look for the Jews. I'm going to be honest. Um, yeah. it just casts them as kind of like dysfunctional, um, and like a little out of touch. They were, yeah. and I, I know comedy has evolved in the last couple of years, sure. but there's, there's that one scene when they're, you know, they, we mentioned before they, they were smoking in the, uh, at the shul and they set up sure. a fire alarm and they're kind of outside and, you know, and the rabbi comes out. Is that weed I smell? Was everybody smoking weed? Is that what happened? You smell the fire. My mom smelled the same thing. Really? Yeah, I did. I smelled it. Oh, no. it's not fire, man. It's weed. You guys were smoking weed, right? 
you'd know. You know what? I bet you just head out before the cops come, okay? Smart. See you back home. Thanks, Boner. You rock. I swear to God, don't touch my balls. And secondly, stop calling me that. God, that was the very last time you'll ever call me Boner. Do you hear me? Boner, God's watching. Oh my God! <laughs> Why are you, you're like, two phones are like, how hot? off of me. It's so easy to manipulate. So strong. I'm sorry, Boner. Come on. Oh my God, you guys are so going to hell. It really came off as just mean to me. I was just sure. like, I am not sympathetic to these characters. Like, they're yeah. just like being mean and making fun. And he's clearly distressed. And yeah. there's no resolution. There's no like, oh, you're right. Like, whatever. It's just like, okay, yeah. Boner, like, calm down. It's just, I mean, even yeah, the so, mom ganged up on him and she yeah. was calling him and her, her girlfriend, uh, Linda, you know, she was also laughing. And so like, he really is just the butt of the joke. It's so not I was like, gender any sympathy for me. Yeah. So I'm going to go with like, not a great look for the Jews. So I, yeah, that, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. So that was our review and ratings of the film. This is where I leave you. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Jews on film. Check us out on TikTok. And uh, for more episodes, you know, we're available wherever podcasts are at. But, uh, you know, Harry, good catching up with you. And I will see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Daniel Zana and Harry Ottensaucer. Harry Ottensaucer edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film. And subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.